Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm very excited about this hour I have before me because I have invited into the studio uh, Millard Erickson. And we're going to do Words of the Wise, which is something we've had a little bit tougher time doing during COVID because it's harder to get guests in the studio or get them uh, connected to the show. So I'm excited to have this uh, opportunity to talk to Millard. He's... uh, Got quite a resume, but whenever we do Words of the Wise, I always have to go through my checklist. Let's see. Have you been following the Lord for decades? Just nod. Yes. Yes. Are you over 75 years old? Yes. All right. Check. Those are the two boxes I need checked to, to, be, <laughs> to be on Words of, the, uh, on Words of the Wise with me, so I'm excited. Uh, Millard has uh, served as a pastor and seminary dean and has taught at numerous schools, including Southwestern Baptist Seminary, Western Seminary. Uh, Portland and San Jose, and Baylor University. He's the author of 32 books, including the widely acclaimed Systematics work, Christian Theology, along with many other books. He was a professor of theology and academic dean at Bethel for many years. He earned a BA from the University of Minnesota, uh, also got his PhD from Northwestern University. Miller, it's so glad to have you on the program today. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Bill, for inviting me. Of course, it's my pleasure. You know, on Words of the Wise, where I always want to ask questions about life lessons and wisdom and theology and maybe even some current cultural challenges. But I want to start with 32 books that you you uh, you like writing. Well, it's hard work. I do <laughs> enjoy it, but it's hard work. Yeah. And of the 32 books, uh, would you say the one that got the most attention was Christian, uh, Christian theology? Uh, it that would clearly be the case. Okay. Uh, I created it simply because there was a need for an up-to-date, usable evangelical theology, and I never imagined anyone else using it. I never imagined <laughs> being translated into Chinese and Bulgarian and Russian and all those languages. And here comes the humility. I love it. <laughs> That's very, very sweet. All right, let's uh, talk a little bit about Christian theology. What is uh, something from the book you can share with listeners? Well, I gave some thought to that, and I think I mentioned um, over the past year, uh, we've all done a lot of thinking about how our Christian faith relates to what's going on. And um, about a year ago, I was supposed to do an invited plenary lecture over in Grand Rapids. It got canceled, but it was to be sort of a little uh, life observations, and I was going to entitle it uh, Poverty, Pietism, and Providence. And um, I was particularly going to emphasize the providence because we theologians talk about these large words, these doctrines that the lay people sometimes think of as being very abstract and removed from life. But providence simply means God's activity in his world, the uh, creation, the preservation of it, the guidance of it, uh, and providence is providence. So Mm. I've thought a lot about how that relates to my own practical life. And looking back, I can trace this. I've been going the last uh, several weeks through my emails because I've uh, 
donated my papers as well as my books to one of the schools I taught at. And nowadays, of course, papers are emails. And I have to go through those because I have to make sure nothing confidential gets out there where people can read it, that so-and-so said this about so-and-so. And uh, it has been a remarkable, it's like reliving your life, at least from the 1990s on Mm -hmm. when we had email, uh, and to see how God has provided and so many dimensions of it. Uh, One of the things that, that really impresses me, God never asks us to do something without enabling us to do it. You need to ask, uh, you need to know who Little Millard was. Little Millard was the little guy in the Stanchfield Baptist Church who, when the Sunday School Christmas program uh, was to be done and the Delivication Bible School closing program, often pretended to be sick so he wouldn't have to get up and say his little piece in front of those very warm, supportive uh, Christians. And when the Lord said to little Millard, who by then was uh, finishing high school and was planning on a career in science, I want you in the ministry, um, I said, God, I will do this. It took me three days to surrender to that, but I said, you have to make that possible. I'm the little guy who doesn't get up and talk. Well, I guess I can talk at least fairly well nowadays, uh, but that isn't what Nowadays, uh, if I were to t- apply to seminary back as the person I was then, they would have said, well, based on the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, you should never go into the ministry. <laughs> <laughs> go into science. That's where you belong. Yeah. But the Lord provided that way. And it's been true in so many uh, ways a- along the way. I see God working in in chains, in sequences. This event made possible this event, which made possible this one, which made possible this one. And you only see that when you look back. Mm-hmm. You don't see it at the time. You don't know what this is going to mean a year from now. Uh, but I am just amazed and humbled at what God has has done and how he's cared for us over the years, protected us and guided us and provided in so many ways. So after three days, Millard, you got pretty much an answer from God that that was the, the direction that you would we're going to take, and you surrendered three days. Yes, it. I was uh, working in a drugstore. I was a freshman in college. I, the Minnesota Ohio State football game was on, and I don't remember much about the game. But by the end of that, I said, "Okay, Lord, you're going to have to do it." Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the way it unfolded. And it's interesting, you know, in high school, science and math give me all the courses there are, but. Uh, the social sciences and English and so on, history, you've got to put up with them. Yeah. Well, now, history is one of my favorite interests. Mm. I, I love to see the connections, not just in church history, but elsewhere as well. So God makes some of those things possible. I still have a strong interest in physics and astronomy, but yeah. uh, he changes you. So, Miller, what was the step of confirmation that you felt you received from the Lord? I know this is just a high interest to people because... God lays something on your heart. Three days later, you surrender. What was your, your, do you remember that step of confirmation that I'm now going to trust you, Lord, for this next move? Yeah, there was nothing dramatic, uh, just as there was nothing dramatic about okay. my conversion. But uh, there was a sense of peace. You know, at least this <laughs> this struggle is, is over with here now. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was still this this idea, I don't know where I'm going on this, how I'm going to get there. Um 
but the Lord leads. And I envisioned ending up uh, in a little country church, a white wooden building with a steeple on it, um, something like the uh, part of the country I came from here in Minnesota. At that time, I went to seminary, Northern Baptist Seminary, which was in the inner city of Chicago. There were, in the denomination of which I was a part, about 600 churches, and the church of those closest to the seminary, about three miles away, is where I ended up my first pastorate. It was nothing like I Sandy County, Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, this was the inner city. Yeah. Uh, when we sang red and yellow, black and white, all our precious in his sight, it left nothing to the imagination. Wow. And uh, we became a bilingual church while I was there. We became a multiracial church. Uh, but there was no immediate confirmation, but, uh, I mean, the the day of that call. But it began to unfold through education and then those early days in 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 trial ministry. Mm-hmm. Well, Lord, I'd love for you to talk about the sovereignty of God. Um, last week I came across Psalm 115, verse 3, that says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Yes, and he delights in doing things that I think, at least from my perspective, that, that surprise us. Uh, of course, you can look at it from a secular standpoint, as so many people do, and it's just a coincidence, or is there some must be some natural explanation. We can't really calculate what it is, you know, a huge odds against it happening by chance, but there must be some natural explanation. But from the Christian standpoint, um, God is countercultural mm-hmm. at times. And um, the thing that has come home to me is that once in a while God says, okay, Erickson, I'm going to show you who's really behind this. <laughs> and I think of a sermon I preached. I was interim pastor down here at Central Baptist Church in St. Paul. And it was by far the worst sermon I ever preached. In fact, it may have been the worst sermon anyone ever preached. It's a good <laughs> thing they don't put religious records in the in world records, but it was just awful. And, and I cut the sermon as short as I could, and I I thought, I'm not going to go back and shake hands with people, and I realized there was no back way off the platform at Central Baptist. I had to go out and meet them, and I felt like saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I thought of having the ushers bring the offering plates back and people could get a (laughs) refund. But that afternoon at our Sunday school picnic, the man who ran the sound system and the recording said, I thought you would be interested to know that we had more requests for recordings of that sermon than any sermon we've ever recorded at Central Baptist Church. God wow. Said, Look at Erickson. <laughs> On your bad days, yeah, I could really work. And, and I think he sort of did that to show me that I shouldn't get proud and say, well, that was a pretty good sermon. Yeah. The remarkable things that he does. And I've had the privilege, um, in part through that book, of traveling to a lot of parts of the world. And if you think that that the center of gravity of Christianity is North America, you have not been to Latin America or to Asia or to Africa. And it is just amazing what God is doing in those places. It, it really is. And I remember speaking to a group in Buenos Aires and saying, send missionaries, send missionaries, bring what you have here. 
wow. uh, to to our country, where we are becoming what Canada is well on its way to being and what Europe has been for quite a while. Uh, we're well on our way to, to secularizing uh, our life. Uh, but in those places, God is really working. Mm-hmm. He really is. Yeah. Amazingly so. Yeah. Well, we'll take a little break. Millard Erickson is my guest on Words of the Wise. And boy, is he wise. We're going to take a short break and be right back with more. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to Words of the Wise. My distinguished guest is Millard Erickson, and he is a former pastor and seminary dean and theologian, author of 32 books. And I was telling him that the requirements to be on the show is you need to be a follower of Jesus for decades and decades. He checked that box and you have to be at least 75 years or older. And during the break, he revealed to me he was 89 years old. So I thought my listeners will enjoy hearing that because uh, you don't seem to miss a beat, which is awfully sweet. Thank so you. Uh, I want to hear a little bit more about young Millard. You kind of piqued my interest. So tell me, what was it like? When did you, uh, you were a, a math and science guy and you enjoyed that in high school and then you, uh, did you get married in your early 20s? Uh, yes, age 22. Okay. And how many years of marriage? Uh, it will be 60, I have to calculate, uh, 57 uh, coming this summer. Oh. Let's see. Uh, it's, yeah, 67 I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. So... Talk a little bit about, if you would, uh, the the journey of marriage. Well, that's an interesting thing, uh, even how my wife and I came together. Because, I'd love to hear that. Uh, I was a sophomore, and when I met her, she was a freshman, but she was dating one of my best friends. Um, and then I transferred over to the University of Minnesota. She trans- She was from Detroit at that time. She went back to Wayne State. And then she came back for um, her senior year, and that was my first year of seminary. The first person I met when I stepped on campus, literally the first person, was Jenny Nepstead. <laughs> and uh, she was not involved with anyone, but I was. But uh, that got taken care of, and we had our first date. It was a Minnesota-Michigan State basketball game, and it developed rather quickly from that. Um, She uh, had a degree in religious education and took a position at a church in Joliet, Illinois, in the far southwest suburbs of Chicago, uh, as, well, basically today it would be a Christian ed director. And I was attending seminary in in, uh, Chicago, and was part-time youth pastor of a church in Evanston, Illinois. And our young people finally figured out why we were having uh, get-togethers between my young people and these young people from Joliet. <laughs> but it, it unfolded, and we uh, decided I, I um, proposed to her in 
her car in Garfield Park in Chicago. Now, if you know Chicago, <laughs> I think that was a dangerous place even to be in the evening. But uh, we planned to get married then in the in the summer of 1955, and um, we needed to to live together. Couldn't be in, in Evanston and in Joliet, but a friend of hers, uh, one of her very good friends from college, was in a church in Chicago, and she knew that that church needed a, a couple that would work with the boys' club, the girls' club, and the high school youth group. And one Sunday evening, she had the church chairman over and told him about this couple that were getting married. And it ended up we became we took that position. It had a three-bedroom apartment on the third floor of the uh, adjacent building to the church. And um, we worked together. And Monday nights, I would have boys club. She was working in a full-time job downtown. I would have boys club. And I'd take the boys home. And then we would do the church bulletin starting at 9 o'clock on Monday nights. Uh, she was an uh, uh, excellent companion to me, a hard worker. She had the same work philosophy I had, work ethic. And uh, we we simply worked together. And Mm -hmm. she's been very supportive of my work. I've tried to be supportive of her work. We made it possible for her to take courses while we were in Chicago. She could get her teaching degree. Started out teaching as a number sub in Chicago, and that's a dangerous life. But she, if you can teach as a sub in Chicago, you can teach anything to anybody anywhere. Um, and then she, uh, after uh, our first year here in Minnesota, she took a full-time position in the Moundsview school system. She taught one year full-time in Winfield, Illinois. And she uh, moved up from from elementary school to middle school. And when our last daughter graduated from Irondale High School, she moved over there. Uh, So we have worked together on that. Uh, We have a lot of similarities. I made a great sacrifice entering into multicultural marriage because she is only three-fourths Swedish and one-fourth Norwegian. (laughs) Uh, Actually, uh, one-half, one-half. Oh, the stakes are are high there. And I'm 100 one percent Swedish. At least I have a T-shirt that says that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we have so many things in common. We've talked about the common values that we have uh, that you don't find uh, very often, even in a Christian school. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of uh, people that had a lot of things in common that I don't think would have been quite the same relationship. Mm-hmm. Not that we haven't had our our. Uh, I shouldn't say struggles, but, you know, our trials. Sure. Everybody has to work things out. Yeah. But um, it's it's been an interesting walk. Yeah. I, don't use, I don't like to use the word secrets to a great marriage, but is there any particular habits you guys had that really worked well for you throughout your, your 57 years? Well, we're both frugal. Okay. That's uh, helpful, isn't it? At least it? that's what I've been told. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and that's important. And we never make uh, financial decisions independently, anything other than a, a few dollars. Mm-hmm. And we've seen eye to eye on that. We've seen eye to eye on the the kind of recreation that that we enjoy, the kind of trips that we make. Um, so it's some very.
common yeah. things there. What would be considered a little indulgence for the two of you? Oh, to go on a cruise. Nice, nice. Yeah. It, have you uh, done that more than once? Uh, yes, we have one scheduled for the Caribbean in, in October. Uh, those are interesting things. You meet people. We met a, a couple from New Zealand that we became quite good friends with in the course of the trip. But then, of course, yeah. the trip is over. And uh, the, the workers on those cruise ships, you know, they come from all over the world and they work very hard and they don't make a lot of money. And I've tried to to treat them not as servants but as, as real human beings. Yeah, yeah. And I remember a... Uh, a young Russian woman who was our cabin attendant, and and I had her teach me a little bit of Russian, and and it made her so happy. And we uh, we left her a Bible which we had sort of stolen from the chapel, <laughs> and, and urged her to read it. And we sort of shared our testimony with her. Um, so the cruises are interesting things, and and uh, I've always tried in travels to. To learn from the culture, I've heard of people who go to another country and they bring food with them. You know, I always try to eat everything set before me. And my translator, my first time in Japan, said, "You are a courageous man." And he named a distinguished evangelist of the United States. He said, "When he was here, we had to send out for for cornflakes for him." But uh, uh, I've tried to to bring Ginny along on whenever those trips that I could. It's not always. Uh, convenient thing. Sometimes the spouse feels like sort of a spare wheel, but um, we've done a lot of good things together, particularly traveling, I think uh, we've enjoyed. And we introduced our our kids to that, our first trip to Switzerland in 1974, and it's been in their blood. I bet. I mean, they travel, and they travel light, which we always do too. One bag, that's it. When you're on the cruise, do you ever go up to the buffet line for a second time? Yes, I've been known to do Have that. Have you been known to do that? Oh, yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. uh, of course, now with the buffets, <laughs> you know, you don't serve yourself at all. It's yeah, all right. handed out to you, I am told. Uh, but uh, uh, that's probably the times when I eat some things I probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Especially on the one cruise line that we've been on a couple of times. At 4 o'clock, they have uh, a classical uh, string quartet that plays classical music. And, of course, then they bring out the cookies and the little sandwiches and so on. That's a real indulgence. There. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we sit up close and we applaud and we really enjoy those. Yeah. Well, I love that story. That's uh, very nice. I'm going to take a little break and then maybe we can play some classical music and we'll bring some cookies in the studio <laughs> and make Miller feel right at home. You're listening to uh, Words of the Wise. Millard Erickson is my guest He is a former dean of Bethel University Seminary, a professor at Baylor, got his Ph.D. from Northwestern University, and he has authored over 32 books. There's lots of wisdom coming out of Millard. We'll take a short break and be right back with lots more. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Show with Bill Arnold, drive time, drive time. 
I'm back with Words of the Wise. Millard Erickson is my guest in studio. He's a former dean of Bethel University Seminary, professor at Baylor, author of 32 books. You know, Millard, I'd kind of like to move into some life lessons. What are some specific life lessons you've learned, let's say, regarding stuff in life? Well, that it really doesn't matter much. (laughs) And uh, as I've often said, the older I get, the more I'm impressed with Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And I think of of how people strive for for recognition and for position and so on. And there's going to come a time when all of that's gone. There's going to be one king and there won't be any of this. I remember a former student of mine who interviewed for a position that had a big title in the denomination. And I asked him afterwards how to go. He said, it was king of nothing. <laughs> king of nothing. And that's really what a lot of things are that politicians and others seek after. But possessions... Um, life experiences, and, and this is one of the things I'm, I'm glad to see more in the millennial generation, that experiences are more important. And it's, of course, what experiences is what's important, but more important than things. Um, those things go, and anything, you know, your health can be taken from you. In, a, in an instant, you can become... Uh, an invalid mm-hmm. if you're in an auto accident. Uh, we have to appreciate things we have but not cling to them. Well said. So what about parenting? What what were some of the life lessons there? Well, it's a strange thing. Um, our three daughters you know, were not the typical teenagers, at least they were in many ways, but you know, the, the problems of teenagers that they don't talk to their parents and so on. I can remember our, our middle daughter at about 9 o'clock at night would come into our room and say, how about a five-minute chat? Oh, my. Oh, <laughs> my. <laughs> That's not a typical teenager. No, it sure isn't. But, but they always communicated with us. They still treated us like human beings, which uh, I don't know what the disease is that, that teenagers acquire, but... You know, they become non-communicative yeah. with, with adults. Our kids were never that way. Um, there are many, many things that I would do differently. And uh, of my children and grandchildren, some of whom are listening right now, I'm sure, or will be listening, uh, there are many things I would do differently. But um, grandchildren are really God's gift from the Lord, where you can, the lessons you learned in some cases the hard way, with your children, you can now do it differently with your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, well, our children were were bright. They were, they each had their unique qualities. They all loved languages. Uh, they were good students. We didn't have any disciplinary problems with them. And... They knew that if they had a friend, and this happened twice, that was being kicked out of their home by their parents, that they could invite their girlfriend home to our house. Beautiful. Now, in each case, before the night really began, mm-hmm. 
the parents and the child were reunited, but I thought that our kids have that sense that what they have as a home, they want to share with their friends. Something got through. I think a lot of it came from church. Mm-hmm. And having them in good churches where they teach good moral values are important things. Yeah. And they learn that people are important. Yeah. And you certainly, you and your wife modeled that kind of love and open-door friendship that they embraced. That That's what they wanted to do is be like mom and dad. Well, we we keep learning as we go along, yeah, don't we? Yeah, that's the truth. That's a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And your kids sounds like they never had that little rebellious phase. They might disagree, but... And they've... You know, they've grown in different directions since back then. But during that time when they were still at home, uh, there really wasn't... Oh, there were times of conflict. Sure. But none of this really, I hate you kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, And I can remember one year, none of the three were at home. The next year, all three were living at home. Millard, if you would, I'd love for you to talk about your prayer life. How has your prayer life evolved over... So many decades of following the Lord. Well, um, I don't claim to be a a great prayer warrior. Okay. Um, and I guess I would tend to keep some of those things more private. But um, prayer, you know, it's it has to be a discipline. And I I have not been one who says, okay, now every morning from 6 to 6.30, I'm going to pray. Uh, whether praying or studying, I learned to use the scraps of life, by which I mean those two minutes mm-hmm. that you're sitting waiting for something, uh, to redeem those. Um, and I can remember praying with my eyes open, uh, going up Eden's Expressway on my way up to Evanston to to graduate school, because that's another whole story. The the time demands of pastoring a church full time and being a a graduate student at Northwestern University at the same time. But I'd I'd use those those moments in the same way with with prayer uh, or with uh, scripture reading. Now I have a. a a regular pattern. I've read through the Bible each year for, I suppose, 10 years in a row. Uh, but I used to have to use moments that that were little pieces here and there, and prayer the same way. Uh, prayer, as with, with the way I chose to write books, grew out of a sense of need. You know, here's something specific uh, that I, I need to pray about not just for me, but for others as well. Um, the last year or so, um, I, the way I put it, I forget who first said this, but we were we were concerned but not anxious. And we really, neither of us, I think, have had any great anxiety over the past year, but learned to pray very specifically. And uh, I wake in the middle of the night and that's a good time to pray then. It sometimes. is. Yeah. And uh, I tend to do it. 
by sort of singing myself back to sleep. Now, I do not sing aloud because uh, that's not one of my gifts. But uh, running through hymns in my mind, and many of them are prayers. But among the most precious ones for me over the past year are ones like, Like a River Glorious is God's Perfect Peace. And one of my old Swedish favorites, Children of the Heavenly Father. Um, and praying some of those things, um, there are some magnificent hymns. And, of course, I'm from the old the old school that still goes for hymns. Uh, there's some tremendous uh, messages in there, both in terms of praising God, but also expressions of trust in him. Uh, so that's been sort of the way my prayer life has gone uh, recently, growing out of uh, of reminders from from hymns, praying those hymns in many ways. Yeah, and those lovely hymns are just lodged in your memory, aren't they? Yes. Oh, and complete in Thee, yes. oh, blessed thought. Yeah. You know, uh, yea, justified, uh, sanctified, salvation wrought. Those are, that's the way I thank God for for salvation, is through those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a particular story from Scripture or a verse that has really been with you for most of your life, something that you sort of reflect on more often than others? When I decided that I would accept God's invitation to ministry, the chapter I picked <clears throat> as sort of my life chapter, I guess, my favorite is Second Corinthians 4, which has a number of themes in it. And one is we do not practice deceitful methods, but by the open commendation of the truth. And then at the end, we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal and the things that are unseen are eternal. Uh, that's been a favorite chapter of mine, and one uh, that uh, relates to a theme I alluded to earlier, Second Corinthians 12, when I am weak, then I am strong. Mm-hmm. The paradox of power. It was from Paul, and I believe it was a physical ailment he was talking about, but when that came upon him, he could not do his ministry in his own strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the incident I mentioned uh, from that world's worst sermon was <laughs> was uh, one of those kinds of cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, over, what, 60 years of preaching or so, um, have not always awakened on Sunday morning feeling strong and healthy. Only once have I canceled, and that's because it was going to be on, on your radio uh, network. I was... Uh, preaching down at, at First Covenant Church, and I thought, if I pass out and it's on the radio, that's not going to be good. So I, I, somebody stood in for me. That's the only time in all those times Is that, right? that, in that six I years have of preaching. missed uh, preaching because of health. And it's not to say that I was always healthy on Sunday, but uh, God gives a measure of strength that, you know, you say, how am I going to make it through two sermons this morning yeah. and a Sunday school class besides? Um, but it's there. He, he giveth more grace when the burden grows greater, um, and he does it many ways there. Mm-hmm. 
All right, we'll take one more break. Millard Erickson is our guest in studio. We're talking about, well, the segment's Words of the Wise, and we're going to take a short break and be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Words of the Wise today. My guest is Millard Erickson, who is a former dean of Bethel University Seminary, a professor at Baylor, author of 32 books, and getting lots of wisdom from Millard. Millard, you're 89 years old. Did you ever have any close calls in life where you thought, ooh, I might not be around. Indeed. Uh, I think of, I suppose I was about seven or eight years of age, went to the country school. We walked a mile and a half to that. But one day I got a ride because my father and my brother were taking an empty wagon up to the sawmill just a little north of the, the school. So I rode along and being a typical kid, I wasn't going to wait for the wagon to stop. I jumped off and slipped in the sand and landed face down and the rear wheel went over my head. Oh boy. Uh, when my mother heard about it, she worried all day till I came home and I said, ah, oh, mom, I just had a little sand in my eyes, but I have a deviated septum that probably goes back to that. But had that been a hard pavement, uh, or even a hard gravel road, or had the load of wood been on the wagon, we would not be having this conversation Mm -hmm. today. But it goes back even farther than that. Um, I hadn't gone through the uh, Great Hinckley Fire Museum till a few years ago, and for your listeners who are somewhere else, in 1894, there was a tremendous fire in Minnesota, consumed, I think, Uh, 200,000 acres of land or something, and at least 400 people died. But uh, it was, uh, I learned when we went through that museum that it was a confluence of two fires, one from the southwest and one from the southeast, that joined. And uh, the wind from the southwest was so so fierce that people could not outrun the fire. They'd try to find lakes and things to get into. But one of those began, one of the branches began um, somewhere between Brook Park and Quamba, Minnesota. Um, believed to maybe have been sparks from the, uh, a locomotive on the railroad track there along what is now Highway 23. Well, in 1894, in 1887, uh, my maternal grandparents had come from Sweden and had settled uh, on a farm still there on Highway 23, Minnesota 23. And uh, my mother was six and a half years old at that time. They lived seven miles west of Quamba, between Quamba and Mora. Had the wind been from the northeast instead of from the southwest that day, there would never have been a Millard Erickson or any of the rest of the members of our family. Um and one other incident I think of uh, when I was pastor at Olivet Baptist Church in Robbinsdale, I was going out to do hospital calling, and I, I came across 26th Avenue North, 
and Broadway comes in in the angle. And I always, when the light changes, I look both directions before I start out. And it's a good thing I did that day because a gasoline tanker truck was coming down uh, to the southeast on Broadway, and he could not stop in time. Had I simply proceeded out there, I would have been hit by that tanker truck. That probably would have been the end of my pastoral ministry and the end of my life there. At the time, you don't necessarily think much about it, though that time I pulled across the intersection, pulled over the curb, and, and shook for a few minutes mm-hmm. till I was prepared to go and make uh, hospital calls. But uh, you look back and you think, you know, sometimes you're at a place and you get in an auto accident and you think, if I had been there a minute earlier, that guy wouldn't have come through there. I wouldn't have gotten involved in that accident. But I think back, how many times that I don't know about, I was there a minute earlier than an accident that could have taken my life. We don't see those things. But once in a while, like those incidents I've mentioned, God sort of says, see, I just thought I'd open the window and show you what I've been doing that you weren't aware of the rest of the time. Yeah, welcome to the circus in my head. Yeah. Because that's the way I think, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. So when you do pastoral things, when you were doing those, and now at this stage of life, you've lost some family members, of course, and friends, right? Yeah. And so some of the pastoral hospital uh, visits, what kind of words are you sharing with, or did you share with people who might be in their last days? Well... It's a delicate thing. It is. uh, You don't want to come across with the negative, but you, as you could at any stage in life, talk about the glories of being with the Lord and let them make the association that may not be very long. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned when I did pastoral work, one of the things that when I left the pastorate, and that was a struggle, it, it was two and a half months uh, to surrender to that, uh, to leave the pastorate, uh, I lost 12 pounds of weight making that decision uh, to go to my first teaching position. But I said, God, I'd, I'd like to still speak once in a while. Well, I had more days off, more Sundays off when I was a full-time pastor than I did for the next 30 years. Wow. Because <laughs> I've done, I think, 52 interim pastorates. And... Uh, uh, to me, that was almost recreation, especially when I was a dean, to, to get away from all the entanglements that you have in administration and to deal with people uh, who are living, not that seminary students aren't human beings living with the regular problems of life too, but, but people who are just trying to live the Christian life where they are and... Uh, that's that's been a wonderful thing. It um, there are still opportunities. There are opportunities in our neighborhood with people. Uh, one of the great things about having a dog is you meet a lot of people. Some of whom have dogs, and some don't. People in our neighborhood, they'll say hello to me, and they'll say hi, Sparky. They all know, <laughs> they all know Sparky. Yeah. He, he loves everybody. But that's opened some opportunities for friendships that we wouldn't have met people from two blocks away otherwise. Um, And you try to find subtle ways to bring the right kind of values to work. One woman said to me, your pastoral side is showing. 
I, I that was sort of startled me, but uh, apparently some of that carried over. Um, about a week ago, I and another uh, former colleague, seminary professor, went and visited one of our colleagues who's now in, in one of the Johanna homes over here. Um, it was, you know, we have, we've had a different relationship. We were colleagues before. Now he's in a situation of, of need, physical and otherwise. But um, you try to simply emphasize the truths of Scripture. And I can remember the president of the seminary graduated from, uh, in a course he required all seniors to take, uh, emphasized memorizing Scripture. He said, it's money in the bank. It's money in the bank. Well, when I was a junior and a senior at University of Minnesota, I rode the streetcar to, to school, and I had these little navigator cards and memorized Scripture. Uh, the disadvantage is my memorization of Scripture is still in King James, but uh, that comes back to you, that you you do have money in the bank you can draw upon. Um, and that comes in handy in in ministering to people. It's one thing to have to look something up in the Bible and read a Scripture to them. It's another thing to to have this flow from you. And pastors who've been in, in ministry years for years are, are just full of this, you know, they, they've studied Scripture so much that uh, they can simply share it, not necessarily verbatim, but basically what the, the text says. And that is money in the bank for you and money in the bank for ministering to others as well. Mm-hmm. So who was president of the United States when you were born? That would have been, uh, let's see, that would have been Herbert Hoover. Hoover, yeah. Yeah, it was the end of his days there. Yeah. So when you talk to your grandkids now, um, first of all, do you have a smartphone? Yes, I do. Okay. I oh. turned it off, by the oh, way. That was so nice of you, by the way. <laughs> so you're, you, you've embraced technology and you like your smartphone and... Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I was early in on the tech thing. That's part of my interest in science okay. from way back. I was doing email in the early 1990s. Okay. Uh, I bought my first scanner back in 1993. It cost me $1,500 then, if you can imagine that, a flatbed yeah. scanner. I bought my first uh, uh, optical disk drive back then. That cost about the same amount of money. So I've been doing email and things like that for a long time. I do not have a blog. I don't plan to have a blog. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't even have any temptation of wanting to be on Twitter. Uh, I, I know that there can be values through this, but I also see the destructiveness of so much social media. Uh, And I pick this up sometimes when you're online and you see people reacting to somebody else on something and, and the, the brutality with which they speak to each other. I know. Which they would not do face-to-face, I would assume. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of hitting someone with your fist. Uh, so I've stayed away from, from that part, but uh, I keep my equipment uh, pretty up-to-date. Nice. I don't, uh, um, I don't do much texting. Most of my texting is with my kids and grandkids. Yeah, That's I the bet. way to get a quick reaction, you know. Yeah. It comes back immediately. Yeah, instant gratification. But, uh, uh, I know when to turn it off, and I don't don't ever 
use it uh, while driving. I, I will sometimes if the phone rings and it, it's a hands-free thing, but I keep the thing uh, brief. One one day I was driving and my wife's called and said, where are you? I said, I'm driving up the, the Dan Ryan Expressway on the south side of Chicago. we got to keep this short. <laughs> I mean, I'm in six lanes of traffic here. Uh, so, it, yes and no, but um, I appreciate technology, and I try to think what technology is going to be. I, I, I'm afraid some people are not thinking out there, you know, what when once in a while we see a a hack attack Mm -hmm. when we see what certain unfriendly countries can do to us to our uh, electrical grid and so on it's scary it really is very scary it really is and i think the average person doesn't think much about that they don't think much about the security of things on their phone i've got the first thing i do in the morning is to run malware uh bytes Mm -hmm. and norton and uh I make sure I've got as much security there as I can. Very smart. Miller, what a delight. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank and you for having me. It's, oh, no, it's, it's, pleasure been, always. it's been my pleasure. And I know our listeners are going to absolutely love our uh, have loved this time together with you. So thank you. Thank you. It's been Words of the Wise with my guest, Millard Erickson. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you missed any, you can head to MyFaithRadio.com. Check it out. Have a great night, everyone. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.